Amen. Isn't that a beautiful song? What a great message in that song. Amen. Amen. Well, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7 of a familiar passage, I would imagine. It may or may not be, I guess, to everyone, but it's probably one that you've heard of in Sunday school or church along the way. And if you're new to the faith, then maybe you've never, maybe you've never heard this passage. And that's all right. You don't have to be familiar with it to glean from it today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, a very powerful passage. So let's go ahead and turn there. We'll look at that passage and we'll then continue on today. But I want to talk about a choice for the ages, a choice for the ages today. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to have to make some choices and they affect the future, our futures. And so let's go ahead and take a look at this passage in the book of Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. The Bible says, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many be, excuse me, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Again, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. Again, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts and lives, for just the many blessings you've bestowed upon Community Baptist Temple. Lord, we are so unworthy of your goodness. And yet, Lord, you're so good to us. We thank you for how you've met needs in our homes, our lives, our families. We're grateful that you've even met our need of eternal life. Or today there may be those who have yet to receive and accept the Lord Jesus as Savior, who do not have the hope of everlasting life. May they settle that before they leave. May you bless us, Lord, that are here today that do know. May our hearts be encouraged and inspired and instructed today. May we go here, leave here, I should say, Father, prepared and even more equipped to accomplish what you've called us to do. We need you now, Lord, and we commit the service into your hands and ask that you would walk these aisles and speak to our hearts that you would do an eternal work in our lives. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, years ago, when I was in the military, we had what were called reforgers. Now, a reforger was nothing more than a war game, a war game that took place between the American forces that were stationed there in Europe. And so we would gather together once a year, and for two weeks we'd go out into the field, and the field being just away from our barracks and out into the wilderness, the countryside, and we would pretend to be at war. And we would set our tents up, and we would set up our communication, uh, uh, you know, tactical operation centers and all the things that you do in the military. And so we, we made a, a habit of that every year. Once a year it would take place there in Germany. And I was over stationed in Germany, and so for a couple of years I had the opportunity to go on these reforgers. And one year I remember in particular that I was tasked to drive the lieutenant, our lieutenant of the communications uh, group that I was with. And again, we were over the regimental communications there in, in, the, in, in the regiment, and that meant there were about a thousand men that would have been involved in that regiment. There were a number of companies and commanders and things like that. And so communications was what we did. And I happened to be driving for the lieutenant that was in charge of the communication for that regiment. And of course, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, you, you have to have communications. I mean, if any war takes place, any war breaks out, let me tell you, communications is essential. It's absolutely necessary. As a matter of fact, 
uh, one of the first things that an opposing enemy would try to do is knock out your communications. Because in doing so, then they basically blind you to what's taking place on the front. You can't see. You're in the dark, if you will. You're making decisions without information. And that can be uh, obviously detrimental to the health and the well-being, not only of you and uh, your nation, but also to the men and women on the ground. And so it's important that we uh, have communications. And so I remember that we, being in charge of the communications for the entire regiment, spent a lot of time traveling back and forth to different locations, making sure that things were in proper order and ensuring that, that everyone was feeling good about their equipment, feeling good about the ability to reach others and so forth and so on. And, and I was the driver. Now, you've got to understand that I'm not really that great at directions and I'm not really that awfully good at driving, to be frank with you. I mean, I drive pretty well, but here I am in a Jeep, of course, and, and I have the lieutenant beside me, and he's got all of these I mean, real technical books and all this stuff for cosines and signs and all kind of things, and he's got the secret location of all these different uh, uh, you know, units that are in the woods and all of that, and we're trying to find the, the location of these particular units. And I remember how he would direct me back into the units. He would say, all right, take a left here and take a right here. And we'd get off the road and he'd say, all right, go around the bend here and see that big tree, take a right at the big tree and then follow it down the road. Okay, I think about a quarter mile here. It looks like this is where you take a left. And I still remember uh, after we'd meet with certain people there at that particular location and get the thumbs up, everything's fine. He'd say, all right, let's go. Let's get out of here. And I'd start driving down the road and I'd, stop at the first intersection, and I'd go, hmm. He'd go, what are you doing? Uh, Trying to remember which way to go from here. He'd like, it's left. Thank you, sir. I'd take a left, and he'd drive down the road, and I'd think, oh, I know this one. I'd start to turn right. He'd go, no, 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 straight through here. Don't take a right here. What's your problem? Didn't you? You drove in. You should know how to get out of here. I mean, he would get so mad at me. He was so upset with me all the time. And I'd say, well, sir, I'm just not that good at directions. I, I'll be honest with you. You know, I just don't do real well with finding my way back out of mazes. And he, he didn't think that was a good answer. He never did replace me, however. I did get through that reforger. But let me tell you, uh, he eventually got to the point where he just told me which way to go. And uh, that was fine with me. I drive. You know, just tell me what direction. Once I got on the main as they called hardball, I was fine. That's just the regular roads. I was good with that. But until then, boy, back in them woods, I was shot. If I was a hunter right now, I would not be preaching today. I'd still be lost in the woods. <laughs> and so that, that's me, okay? That's just how I am. And so nonetheless, that was a problem. And so there were so many choices that had to be made. And those choices that had to be made would determine the destination and where we ended up. And he didn't want to end up in the wrong place. So eventually he started making all the choices. Well, the writer in our story here in, in, in our passage in Matthew chapter 7, he's addressing life choices now. He's pointing out that those life choices ultimately determine our futures. They ultimately determine the outcome of our future, our life. And so, I guess if you will, life is a journey. And we make decisions and we make choices. And it's important that we make the right choices. And the writer, again, again, is addressing those life choices And a very important one to boot. And this morning, I just want to take a short journey down life's road this morning and consider some of the stops along the way. Now, again, this is not not like some theological, uh, you know, something you're going to get at, you know, some theological university. It's real basic. It's fundamental. But let me tell you something. What I have found in life 
and, and this has been true every, at every, every turn of life, is that the fundamentals always make the difference. It's not, the, it's, not the made, it's not that complicated stuff. It's the fundamentals. If you're a pitcher or you're a, you're a quarterback or you're involved in any other kind of, of sport, let me tell you something. Anybody that's successful will tell you they have worked on what? The fundamentals. And may I say today that in the Christian life and even in the life of every person that's born on the, on the planet, there are basic fundamentals that make a difference. And I want to take a journey today and look at a couple stops along life's, uh, life's way that, that, that we have to face and we have to deal with. And we're going to make a turn one way or the other at these particular places. This is very fundamental, may I say. But I do believe it's very helpful in the long run. For if you've made the right choices already then this will only reinforce the choice you've made. If you haven't made these choices or you've made the wrong choices, then I would encourage you to ultimately make the right one because these fundamental choices you make will ultimately affect your future. First of all, we come to the crossroad of sin. I mean to tell you, in life's journey, you're going to ultimately come face to face with sin. You're going to be at a crossroad and you're going to have to ask yourself, what am I going to do about sin? What am I going to do about it? And I've got to make a decision. And the Bible lays it out and makes it very clear that there's going to be a crossroad of sin in our life. As a matter of fact, the Bible says with this crossroad comes condemnation. Take your Bible, look over at Romans chapter 3, would you? I mean, again, we're making a journey. We're taking a journey. And there are paths that we can travel. And as we travel life's journey, we're going to come face to face with this issue or aspect of sin. We're going to come to the crossroad of sin. We're going to have to make a decision what we're going to do with our sin. And the Bible teaches us that with this crossroad comes condemnation. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And someone says, I know somebody that does good, preacher. Yes, you do know somebody that does good in, in maybe uh, uh, in, in a worldly sense, in, in, in a, 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 a humanity sense, but in a spiritual sense, we are all sinners. In a spiritual sense, none of us measure up ultimately to a, a standard that needs to be measured up to. In a sense, we all do wickedness and evil because our whole decision-making process and our whole life and our whole being is tainted with sin from the very beginning. And so in that sense, we don't do good. In the sight of a holy God, that is. Not in the sight of one another. I look at you today and I say, these are some good people. But when God sees us without Jesus Christ, he doesn't see the good, he sees the sin. And he has to judge the sin and he has to deal with the sin. And so we see here in the passage, ultimately we're going to note in a passage that this crossroad of sin that we will face, the decision we have to make, it comes with condemnation. We have to be very careful with this. It comes with condemnation. Look in, in Romans, excuse me, John chapter 3, verse 18. Again, Romans 3.23, as you're turning to John 3.18, says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know that none doeth good, no, not one, and that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us measures up to God's perfect standard. None of us measures up to His holy parameter. We all fail. We all fall short in that regard. But notice again, when we come to the crossroad of sin, this crossroad comes... With this crossroad comes condemnation. And you say, what do you mean? Well, let's let the verse speak for itself a moment. It says, he that believeth on him, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ in the context. If you remember just two verses earlier, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So now we see that 
it says in John 3, 18, he that believeth on him, Jesus Christ, is not condemned. That's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, he that believeth on him, Jesus Christ, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned what? He is not, he's condemned what? He's condemned what? Already, you're not doing very good today, folks. You got to lift it up. You got to get engaged. He's, he's condemned what? That's right, already. That means he doesn't have to do one more thing. That means he doesn't have to say one more thing. The fact is he or she is already condemned. From the moment they are born, they're condemned already. And you say, what do you mean condemned? Now, hold on. Before we go any further, let me clarify. There's no child, no baby, no, no little infant in here or in our nurseries that would go to hell. That's not happening. God's not going to permit that to happen. You, I don't care who you talk to. The fact is, is that that child does not understand what sin is even. He or she will not be held responsible for the sin that they know nothing about. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him and his sin. Let me tell you, there's no child that's going to be placed in a place called hell without the knowledge or understanding of sin. But let me tell you something. Those that are in this room, i got to believe that you're probably at the age where you have gotten to the place where you've come to the crossroad of sin. You're well aware that there's sin. And let me tell you something. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, my friend, then you're condemned already. Sentence has already been passed. That's what the Bible's saying. I mean, we come to a crossroad of sin. We're traveling down, the, uh, down the, the, the highway of life, and we come to a crossroad, and there stands sin, and we have to make a decision. What are we going to do with sin in our life? And with that crossroad comes condemnation, and with that crossroad also comes conviction. You know, Isaiah recognized the sheer loathsomeness of sin. I mean, he loathed sin. He looked at his life and said, wow, this is horrible. Look in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. When he came to this crossroad of sin, when he was faced with his sin, notice the conviction that he felt. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Notice Isaiah, he says there in chapter 6, verse 5 of the book of Isaiah, he says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Man, I mean, he was confronted with God himself. He saw his sin, and he saw the holiness of God and the perfection of God, and he says, Woe is me. May I say today, that's conviction. He saw the loathsomeness of his own sin. He said, man, I'll tell you what, I am wretched and I am sinful in the sight of a holy God. Isn't that amazing? I'll tell you something, that there's something that seems to be missing in my mind from the Christianity today. It's, it's a loathsomeness of sin. It's the fact there's no conviction of sin. It seems to me that we look at our sin and we say, well, it's fine. It's okay. It's like, I'm just like everybody else. But see, we're not judging ourselves compared to others. We judge ourselves compared to him who is perfect and holy. And Isaiah said, woe is me. And long before he said, I'm an un, I'm, uh, even long before he said, and I'm in the midst of a people of unclean lips, he recognized the fact that he himself was a man of unclean lips. This idea that look at all the world, look how wicked, look how sinful they are. I'm going to tell you what, that falls on deaf ears so many times because it's so hypocritical. The reality is today is that you and I come to a crossroad and that crossroad is sin. And may I say today that that crossroad brings condemnation, but the fact is it ought to bring some great conviction in our heart and in our lives, my friend. 
We ought to look at our sin and it ought to bother us. It ought to cause us to, to hate, in a sense, what and who we are internally. And we ought to look at ourselves and say, why can't I get it right? Why can't I please God? I'm just a sinner with unclean lips. It ought to bother us. Not only that, but David, if you look at David's life, he was mindful of how much his sin dishonored God. Look, if you would, over in Psalm chapter 51, verse 4. His sin dishonored God. And he, was, he understood that so clearly. I mean, to tell you, I know that Nathan the prophet had to confront him. And I realized that in a, in a, on the onset, David wasn't real uh, anxious to admit his failure and his fault with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. But I tell you, when he got confronted with his sin, it did something. It convicted him. When he came to the crossroad of sin in his life, he said, man, I tell you what, this is bothering me. I tell you, it bothers me because look why it bothered him. I think this is important to note. Psalm 51, 4, against thee, he said, against thee, the only, who's he talking to in the passage? I'll tell you, he's talking to God. He says against thee, he's not talking to Bathsheba. He's not talking to Uriah the Hittite. He's not talking to his people, Israel. He's talking to the God of heaven. And he says against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David says, man, I'm going to tell you something. When I came to the crossroad of sin and I was confronted with it, I got so great conviction because I, I, I dishonored God. I dishonored the one who loved me. I dishonored the one who put me where I am, who gave me every good thing in my life. I dishonored him and I hate it and I hate myself for it. Well, that's not good for his self-esteem, is it? But I'll tell you one thing before the end of the chapter, it's good for him. We don't have time to consider it and to look at that all the way through. But let me tell you something. When a man or a woman comes to the place where they recognize their sin, they come to that crossroad and they realize, I loathe that sin. I, I, I hate, hate what it does and I hate how it affects me. And I don't like the fact that I'm not measuring up to God's standard. And I hate that it brings dishonor to God in heaven. Boy, I'll tell you what, you're in a good place now. You're getting in a good place. When the Spirit is convicting... We understand that our sin demands the wrath of a holy God, too. Look, if you would, in Romans chapter 1. We'll look at two verses in Romans. They're right next to each other, pretty much. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And when this conviction takes place, when we come to the crossroad of sin in our life, it brings condemnation. And with that condemnation comes conviction. And that conviction is, is a loathsomeness of sin and we hate the sin and we hate, hate how it's affecting our life and we hate how it dishonors God. And we come to the realization that that sin demands God's wrath. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 2, 5 says, But after, they, after thy hardness and impotent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Then I'm going to tell you something. Sin demands the wrath of God. <clears throat> we don't talk much like that today. We're not even big on parents disciplining children today in the culture in which we live. But may I say, biblically and scripturally, there's a God in heaven that, yes, loves you like nobody's business. But he also is righteous and holy, and he must judge sin. And as a result of that, when we come to that crossroad of sin, my friend, there ought to be great condemnation that's weighing on our shoulders. And there ought to be conviction that weighs as well. And we ought to come to the place where we say, oh, God, I know I deserve your wrath. I know I deserve your judgment. But...
So we come to the crossroad of sin as we journey through life. But not only that, we come to the cross of the Savior. I mean, we're making this journey and we come to the crossroad of sin, but may I say before long, we get conviction under our heart and we recognize our sin for what it is and how it affects God. But then we come to what? The cross of the Savior. (laughs) Boy, isn't that wonderful. With this cross comes compassion. When we see that cross, we can't help but recognize the awesomeness, or should should I say the awfulness, And the high price of sin, first of all. I mean, that cross, in a sense, represents the worst and the best, doesn't it? When you think about it, it represents the worst and the best. So when you see the cross, yes, it's it's a cross, and with that cross comes compassion. But let me tell you something. When you look at that cross, and I look at that cross, it represents the best and the worst. And and what one of the worst things it represents is the high price of sin. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Do you realize every time I see the cross, I can't help but be reminded that death is the price for sin? Because there is where Jesus ultimately hung. There is the, quote, penalty of sin. Death. And boy, was it an awesome, gruesome death. You want to you talk about how, how, how wretched sin is. You want to talk about how ugly sin is. Then you need only look at what the price was for sin. You need only look at the broken body. You need only look at the, the nail print, nail scarred hands. You'll need only look at the crown of thorns on the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need only consider that, that cat of nine tails ripping and shredding his back to pieces. You need only consider the nails in his feet as well and how he hung there gasping for breath, blood seeping down of his, his skull and, and recognizing the fact that he'd been beaten and battered to where he was unrecognizable. May I say today that sin is ugly and when we look at the cross we see the worst of it. Well, the cross comes but that cross comes compassion, but that cross represents the worst and the best. Oh man, we see that cross and recognize the awfulness and high price of sin. But when we see that cross, we can't help but realize the amazing love of God for us. Amen. I mean, if it wouldn't have been so awful, his love wouldn't look so big. John 3.16, we quoted it already, but you could probably quote it with me. If you can quote it, why don't you quote it? If not, it's in John 3.16, not too far probably from where you, you presently are. Well, you're in Romans now. You'd have to go back a couple of books. It says what? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his only begotten son. Oh, man. That's compassion. He loved the world so much he gave. We come to the cross of the Savior. (laughs) With that cross comes compassion. We can't help but realize the amazing love of God for us. Not only that, with this cross comes conciliation. You say, what's conciliation? It's appeasement. Take your Bible, look at 1 John 4.10. Come on now, you got to stick with the C's. I got it going now. I'm on a roll. With this cross comes conciliation or appeasement. Notice in 1 John 4.10, there's an interesting word that's utilized here. It says, herein is love. 1 John 4.10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be, watch this, the propitiation for our sins. Boy, is that a powerful word. Boy, is that an amazing word. I mean, with this cross comes conciliation or appeasement. What it's saying in the passage is when he sent his son, he sent his son to be the propitiation, to fulfill the righteous demands of a holy God. That there is no other way that your sin could be addressed or dealt with. That you were on your own without Jesus Christ. That the only way that you could appease God, the only way you could appease his righteousness, his holiness, is through Jesus Christ. He alone is the propitiation. Not going to church or reading your Bible. It's not about how how benevolent you are as a person or how much you do on behalf of the culture or the society in which we live. It's not about whether you are so wonderful or you're not wonderful. It's all about Jesus. He is the propitiation. He's the only one that can fulfill that righteous demand. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. In Romans 3.25, it says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Boy, I love that. Faith in his blood. But we downplay the blood of Christ today so often. We speak so little of it. I guess it's because it's so disgustingly ugly. The thought of some man hanging on a cross, beaten to a pulp, shedding his blood... It's repulsive to us in our humanity. But may I say there is no greater love demonstrated than that. And for the believer today, there is no greater hope than that. Because without that death, there would have never been a resurrection. And boy, he showed us the awfulness of sin. So we see in life's journey, we're we're making the journey and we come to the crossroad of, of sin. And then along the way, fortunately for us, we come to that crossroad of the Savior. I mean, there he is. I mean, I mean, the cross of the Savior. There it stands, clear. We see our sin, and we are condemned, and we are convicted, but there stands the cross. We have a choice to make. And that brings us to our last point. We come to the choice of salvation. Everyone will journey this life and make a journey in this life. And sooner or later, everyone will come to the crossroad of sin. But may I say, thank God there's a cross of the Savior. And now there's the choice of salvation for you. You're going to have to make a turn every, at every spot you take a turn. At every place you make decisions. But now the choice of salvation. With this choice comes confidence, though. I mean, when you choose Christ, when you finally make the decision to receive and accept his salvation, my friend, then you can have confidence. Look, if you would, in 1 John 5, 11. First John chapter 5, verse 11. We're going to read through verse 13. The Bible says, and this is the record. I'm glad it's on record. You're not going to delete that. 
It's on God's eternal server. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his what? Son. This life is not in your ability to serve him. This, this life is not in, in your effort to meet the needs of others. This is not even, this, this life is not available and it's, it's not as a result of your being a good husband or a good wife or a good parent. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. That's, that's it, that's all. He that hath the Son then hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may, what? Know. That ye may, what? Let's try that again. As one pastor would say, all right, kiddies, let's try that again. I'm like, what are you talking about, kiddies? We're a bunch of adults in here. And he's like talking to us like we're little kids. He's pretty good little, he's pretty... Well, pretty good little preacher. I almost said little preacher, but really, he's, he's a pretty good preacher. But I thought, look, so, okay, so as he would say, okay, kiddies, what does that say then? That ye may, know. that's right, you may know, know what? Know that ye have eternal life. You can know that then. You don't have to question, you don't have to guess. How many times have you talked to somebody and you've talked to them about eternal life and you've said, do you know for sure if you died today where you'd spend eternity? And they say, well, I think and I hope and I trust and I know God's good and they can know. So can you. These things have I written unto you. Where are they written? They're written in a book that we're going to talk about on Monday and Tuesday night. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. In John chapter 1 verse 12 the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. In John 3.36 it says, He that believeth on the Son hath what? Everlasting life. I don't know about you, but that seems to be a long time. Everlasting seems like forever because it is. See, when we, come to the, 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 when we come to the choice of salvation, we are going to make a decision. But if we make the right decision, that choice comes with confidence. But may I say also, that choice comes with change. Comes with change. 2 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 5, verse 17. We come to the crossroad of sin and with that crossroad comes condemnation and conviction. And then along the way in life, we're, we're, we come to the choice of salvation and we have a choice to make. We come to the cross of the Savior, excuse me. And that cross expresses and exp- shares with us his compassion. And it also revi- reveals to us his, his appeasement or his propitiation, the Lord Jesus Christ, helps us to understand that our sin can be addressed and dealt with through him. And then we come to this choice of salvation. And we make the right one. We have confidence. But with this choice also comes change. And I think that's a good thing. You know, today in the world we live, it seems that this point seems to be a negative. It, I don't know about you, but it just seems to be a negative today. I, I don't think it's a negative. It's, it, it's meant to be a positive. 
It's supposed to be a good thing. Change comes. Remember, we're steeped in sin. We're bound by sin. And now all things are new. That change ought to be, it ought to be looked forward to. It ought to be something we're excited about. Look in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, 30 years ago, I made a decision that changed my life. I got married. I made a decision to marry my wife, and 30 years ago now, that's been a few years now, hasn't it? Can I tell you, when I made that decision, nothing was ever the same. And can I tell you something? That's a good thing for me. I know, unfortunately, some have had bad experiences, but I'm telling you, it's been a most wonderful decision. I'm telling you, that decision, however, it affected my responsibilities, The very moment that I said I do to that wonderful young lady, that very moment my responsibilities changed. That moment I was responsible not only for me, I was responsible for her. And ultimately I'd be responsible for the very children that God would bless us with if indeed he did. And there I had a responsibility. Everything changed. Where once it was about me, where once it was all mine, now all of a sudden it's about them. Not only did it affect my responsibilities, but it affected my relationships. As you can tell, I was truly a babe magnet. But that decision affected my relationships. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. I had no latitude to go out and, and talk to other ladies for the, with the exception of just to talk to them for the right reasons, but to try to, to woo them or to try to convince them that I was the man for the job. I'm the big guy. I'm the big kahuna. I'm Mr. Right for them. Man, I had, had no right to do that. I had my wife now. I'd made my choice. I'd made that decision and everything changed. My relationships would never be the same. I'd never have the kind of relationship with the girls that I used to have because I have a wife now. I can't sit there and drink coffee over lunch and have fun and have fellowship with them and develop a relationship with them anymore because I have a relationship with her. I don't have the right to do things with anybody else that I have the right to do with her. Why? Because I entered into a relationship that day. I made a decision that day. And that decision affected my relationships. It affected my relationship with my parents. It affected my relationship with her parents. It affected my relationship with other people. Not in a negative way, necessarily a positive way. But it was a different way. Things changed in my life because of that decision. Honey, I'm going to spend the next two weeks over at the house with my parents. I'm just going to hang out there for two weeks. I mean, mom treats me really good. My mom treats really good, too. She does a good job. I mean, it's like if I had to go anywhere else without my wife, I'd want to be at my mom's because she's like bringing food all the time and taking care of me, and I like that. But I'm married, right? Okay, so I'm married. Some of you are going, you just made your wife mad. No, I didn't. She knows I'm joking. No, I'm not really joking about my mom, but I'm joking about... The, you get it, okay? I'm going to stop talking about it. You, you should hopefully get it. But anyway, my responsibilities changed. My relationships changed. And you know what? My reason for living changed, really. 
Now, again, I understand that I have a relationship with God the Father. I get it. But I'm talking about my reason for living changed from it being about me, getting what I want, to what she needs and what the children need. Everything changed the day I made that decision. And you know what? It's an interesting thing to me. It seems to me that some believe that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. I've never regretted that decision. I've never regretted it. Man, I love to come home and wrap my arms around my wife and give her a big smooch, and she loves it too. (laughs) No amen there. But anyway, the fact is I love it. A great decision that led to a wonderful relationship. Tremendous responsibilities that are so fulfilling, satisfying. May I say today that when you make this choice, when you come to the choice of salvation, you say, yay for God, you're going to have some confidence, yes, but you're also going to have some change in your life. And that change is a good change. The apostles writing to the Thessalonians over in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8 through 10, turn there if you would. We're going to close this out, okay? We're going to kind of let this be our last real passage, and then we're going to kind of just conclude it and move on. But look what the Bible says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. 8 through 10. I mean, there is change that will come. And it's good change. The Apostle Paul's writing now to these at Thessalonica, and he says, For from you, verse 8, Sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. That's a powerful passage. And what's he talking about? Well, he's encouraging them. And he's encouraging them by pointing out the the many changes that had taken place in their lives since being born again into the family of God. Notice what he says here. Notice their witness has changed. Verse 8, right off the bat, he says, listen, he says, you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad. He said, since you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, since you came to that cross and you chose salvation, my friend, let me tell you, your your witness has changed. You've been a new creature, yes. You've been a new person. But the way you talk and the way you've acted, it's changed everything. Notice not only their witness, but in verse 9, their work. Their work changed. I mean, they weren't talking about sin anymore, and they weren't talking about wicked things. Now they're talking about Jesus and the love of Christ and all the good things. And now look at their work in verse 9. For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. How ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. These were idol worshipers at one point. They had placed other things ahead of God. They had recognized the authority of other things instead of the creator God himself in their life. But yet when they came to this place when they ultimately found themselves at this choice of salvation and they made a decision for Christ. They became a new creature and old things passed away and all things became new, even their witness and even their work. And they took their idols and they threw them in a trash can and they lit them on fire and they got rid of them forever. And they said, only God is our God. 
Only God will we worship and only God will we bow down to and only God will we praise. We see their witness, their work, but note they're waiting. They're waiting. This is important in verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. They're waiting now for Christ to return. He promised to in 1 Thessalonians. He promised to in, in, in Corinthians chapter 15. He promised to in Revelation chapter 4. He's coming again. He's going to receive us unto himself in John chapter 14. That where he is, there will be also. And he says, now these, because they have come to this place where they come to this choice of salvation and they made the choice to, to be saved, to be forgiven of their sin, to receive and accept Jesus Christ alone as their sacrifice and payment for sin, their witness has changed. Their work has changed. Their waiting has changed. What a wonderful change comes when we ultimately choose salvation. Why is it such a bad thing for change to come, it seems, today? Why is it that believers today, someone trusts Christ today and they receive the Lord and it's like, well, now do I have to give up this? What do you mean do you have to give up this? Why wouldn't you want to? What's wrong with you? What is wrong with us us today? I've got my sin. Now I want the Savior. I'm going to trust Jesus and I want Jesus as my Savior today. My friend, uh, now listen, let's get doctrinally straight here. First of all, you can't do away with your sin. He only can do away with your sin. I get it. But this seems to be almost a visual mentality of what's taking place today. Uh, okay, I want Jesus my Savior. Okay, well, sir, you can't. He's not going to be able to jump in that seat. You won't be able to hold him and your sin to, at the same time. You do realize that, don't you? Do you realize, I mean, for instance, if I took Mr. Weiser right now, and I don't know, he's out the door probably or walking through the halls protecting us right now. And let me tell you something. Well, six foot six, all 210 pounds of him at least. If I said, now jump in this seat, brother, I want, I want you and the seat. I'm going to carry you both. You'd say, you're, you're crazy. There's no way you're going to carry Mr. Weiser and that seat. You know what we are with Jesus? We're like, hey, listen, I want my sin. Jesus, jump on board. Do you know what you're going to probably have to do? Be willing to give that up before you can actually get Christ. Amen. Whatever happened to sin being a bad thing? Whatever happened to the point where when we come to Christ, we're happy to get rid of sin in our life. We're looking forward to it. And now we have the power to do it because he lives in us. We want our sin too often. It's destroying us. It's wrecking our homes. It's wrecking our marriages. It's wrecking our lives. It's ruining our children. It's corrupting our culture. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Hey, listen, each of us makes choices today. And in our journey today, we've come to the crossroad of sin. We've been confronted with the cross. The cross of the Savior. 
And we've come face to face with a choice of salvation. The question is, what choice will you make? What choice will you make? May I tell you, it's a choice for the ages. Don't you realize the choice you make is a choice for the ages? That it will affect your future forever. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Today, God in heaven in his great love and mercy extends to you his son. Will you trust and receive him as your savior today? If you haven't already. And if indeed you have. Have you allowed that choice to affect your witness, your work, and your waiting? Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time.